highs in the 60s. Mostly clear for Friday night. Lows into the 30s. Saturday night is going to be a little cloudy there. Lows into the 40s. Come Sunday, we're looking at rain throughout the day. Highs in the 60s. And rain at as well throughout Sunday night. Expect rain again there for Monday. Rolling out into you uh, for you boaters. Small craft advisory in effect until 9 p.m. this evening. I repeat, a small craft advisory is in effect until 9 p.m. this evening. And with that said, it's time for Aaron Cloudin and Healing Journeys. I hope you enjoy the show. Opinions expressed in the following sponsored program are not necessarily those of KSCO Radio, its staff, management, or advertisers. If something is said with which you disagree, please call us during the program in order to help us balance comments. To Healing Journeys. I am your host, Aaron Cloudon. Tonight on the show, I'm going to have David Gandelman. He is the author of The Seven Energies of the Soul. Um, it's an excellent book. He is also the founder of Meditation School. You can find it at Meditation School. US. Um, and we are going to have him on here in just a second. We've had a slight little miscommunication in regards to uh, call in time. So we're going to get him on the phone here right away. Right? Yes. Yeah. Hey, Aaron. How's it going today? Hello, Nicholas. How are you, sir? I'm doing pretty good. All right. So, um, so he he says that the med so uh, our guy David he says the meditation school is uh, a new way to experience the power of deep meditation designed for personal growth, self healing, and the real world. And you can rediscover the joy of meditation uh, with his live and recorded special meditation classes. And with it, you'll uh, you'll you'll develop you'll develop a calm presence, which is a deep sense of ease with yourself and your loved ones in the present moment. You'll also open yourself to deep self-love and healing, that feeling of total fulfillment and acceptance of who you are in this lifetime. You will live your li whoa, live your life with grounded spirituality. Oh. Came unplugged there, um, which gives you a deeper, more personal connection with yourself and the world, what lies beyond. And you'll tap into energy and develop intuition, learn to find your own answers, heal your past, and create your world from within. Uh, they also do hypnotherapy in their meditation school. And um, so I'm just going to give you a quick rundown about. Oh, it looks like he's calling in right now, so we're going to get him on the air so he can explain better about his uh, book as well as his meditation school. David, are you there? I am. Awesome. Sorry about the uh, little bit of miscommunication on the call in time, but I'm glad you're here now. <clears throat> All good. All good is right. So I uh, started listening to your book. I really like it. It's a really great Thank book. You. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> um, so this is one of the things I always ask all my guests is what inspired you to take this path and to write this book and do the work that you're doing? Sure. Well, I'll give you the brief version. Uh, when I was 16, my brother was, let's say, exploring psychedelics in college <laughs> And uh, he came home one day and he was like, you need to open your mind. And he dragged me to a uh, local Barnes and Nobles and he said, pick any book in the store, I'll buy it. And, you know, it was the year 2000. Uh, I, 
I picked up The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. There was just like a whole bunch of them. I was like, this looks fine. And I uh, went home, I started reading, and just something in me shifted. You know, it was a very simple message of we spend most of our lives projecting ourselves into the future and being pulled back into the past, and we're rarely present. And when I read that, something about it just clicked in me. So I started meditating a lot. I went and I got a degree in philosophy. I lived in the Himalayas in an ashram for a while, did the whole India thing. And uh, eventually I spent seven years studying kind of the more mystical arts in Hawaii. And at some point I decided I wanted to teach. So I started teaching online, created a meditation app, and then here's the book. So that's a very short version. Uh, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I would say it was a long journey. And I started young. It's, it's been over 20 years of meditating now. And... Uh, I still try and sit every day, and now I get to help thousands of people do it. So it's pretty cool. That's I feel very fortunate. That's awesome. So when I, I've I've been a meditator for quite a while and been on a spiritual journey for a, a similar time length, maybe about twenty years now as well. And one of the cool. things that comes up for me. And and I asked this question as more of a curiosity, not as a, a as a challenge in this way. Is is how do you find the confidence to be like, hey, I can teach this, or I I'm in a space to teach this. Sure, that's a that's a great question. It's definitely something I didn't have confidence in early on. I remember I was uh, sitting at a park next to the ocean in Hawaii where I was living and I was meditating and I had this very clear thought, I will never be as good as my teacher. And right when I had that thought, no joke, a bird took a huge crap on my head, <laughs> like uh. all over me. And it was like the universe saying, Hey, that's what your thought is made of. Just a bunch of crap. Right. <laughs> and I would say I just grew into it over time. Just, you know, just like anything, you put in your, your 10,000 hours, and I started feeling more confident, comfortable teaching in front of groups. I still don't think I really know anything. Every time somebody asks me a question, I'm always just in the moment with them, wondering what the answer will be myself. So it's not like I have a huge store of knowledge. I'm not, I don't consider myself a professor, like in, in the academic sense. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really here to teach people tools so they, they can find their own answers, learn who they are, and shift their energy. So I consider myself much more of like if you were going to take piano lessons or guitar lessons or basketball lessons, I'm more of your coach, your guide, than I am uh, someone who's going to explain how the entire universe works. So in that sense, I'm not confident, but in terms of teaching you tools so you can live a better life, I'm, I'm good there. I'm I'm happy in that space. <laughs> well, it's interesting because in your book, right in the beginning, you talk about um, looking within to find the answers that that you had and that you had found yourself as well in a position as a teacher, looking for others to give you answers, and and you came to the realization based on the teachings of the historical Buddha of. It don't don't come to me. It, sit with yourself and find them within. Be be your own teacher, and, and it sounds like you're still you're still very much there, like you're teaching others yeah. to teach themselves. Exactly. So, you know, somebody could teach you how to be a good piano player or a skier, you mm -hmm. know, or a sculptor, an artist, and really, I'm just teaching people how to sculpt themselves, how to find themselves, and so. I don't feel like I have to come with some special knowledge necessarily, mm -hmm. but there was a, there was a time when I lived in India. I was a, what I would consider a guru chaser. I would go from guru to guru, teacher to teacher, anybody who had a beard, I was coming to sit with, <laughs> with them. And uh, I literally 
carried their photos in my pocket like baseball cards, and I could recite off all the great gurus of India, past <laughs> and present, like you know, like their batting averages. Like this one has this these powers, and that one is lightened at that age. I was like a spiritual nerd, you know, and so I was, yeah, I was very much looking on the outside for my answers. I was obsessed. I thought one day. I would find a guru. He would, you know, tap my third eye, and and that would be it. I'd be blissed out for the till the end of time, and then you know I realized that was a phase in my twenties of looking on the outside. So I had to really sit, close my eyes, and shed that layer of whatever that energy was, believing somebody else knew more than me, somebody else was better. It was kind of like the experience of the bird taking a crap on my head. <laughs> you know, there's always, always somebody who knows more, right? So there was. For me, it was like a level of invalidation and lack of certainty and self-worth that I had to work through. And that was my enlightening experience. You know, that was what molded me into a teacher was going through that energy. So, so what, what did, can you point to anything in particular that, that caused that shift of stopping to look externally? Because I, I, I feel like we live in a society that wants the quick fix to take the magic yeah. pill that or or hey i've and i remember when i first started meditating i did my first 10 day and I'm, it's like well i should be enlightened oh, yeah. now you know <laughs> <laughs> i just did a 10 day <laughs> you know and then to kind of come to terms now after being a meditator for 15 plus years or, or however long i've been on this journey of like oh i i'm I guess I'm I'm more accepting of the flaws, so to speak, or or the whole being, uh, and not chasing after this magical enlightenment, so to speak, or anything. It, do you ever find yourself kind of still looking externally every now and then? Get caught up in that trip of like, oh, I need to find the answers somewhere, or if I read something else, or go to a different class or something i don't anymore i don't go to classes i don't read too much i had a massive phase where i read you know hundreds of books and went to hundreds of teachers and took every class i could and years and years of training and i think i've kind of flushed that out of my system i mean of course i still listen to some amazing teachers i I love to hear wisdom from people who I, i feel have it you know, it's kind of like drinking from a really great fountain of wisdom. There are people out there that will have wisdom that I'll never have, and maybe I have some that, that they don't have. And it wasn't just one moment for me. It was kind of a thousand small moments of shedding layers of invalidation, of uncertainty, of fear, of confusion. You know, there's, we, there's all of these layers that cloud us from understanding who we are, and I just did a lot of inner work to start to clear those layers. I'll never be done, probably. Maybe enlightenment is much more about accepting our imperfection than it is finding some kind of perfection. Maybe that's the confusion for people, that one day I'll find perfection and I will be perfect. I think that's the illusion itself that needs to be broken through and recognize you know, the human condition and this planet, there just is no perfection. And that acceptance in itself may be the enlightenment for you. And I think that's what I started to deepen into and try to every day. I will say, if I could just share one brief sure. kind of really trippy story. Uh, I had a guru in India I was going to see all the time. I thought he was like a god. And I, I, I just thought if he touched me on the third eye, that I would have this crazy spiritual awakening and I would be done, as I was saying earlier. Right. And so there's this ancient story of, of this guy in the 1800s, Vivekananda. Uh-huh. He was the first person to ever, ever bring uh, spirituality from India to America in 1893. And his story is he went to a master who touched him on the third eye and it like made him enlightened or something. <laughs> and so that, and I, so I said to my teacher, can you touch me on the third eye the way yeah. Vivekananda got touched? And he goes, it takes a Vivekananda to be touched. And I was like, ouch. Uh, so two weeks later, I know, ouch, zinger. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So true, but true. He was right. So yeah. Two two weeks late. Yeah. Two weeks later, I'm on a forty hour train ride across India. Some crazy train. 
I'm by myself sleeping, and I'm deep in the dream state, and I have this intense dream where this guru of mine comes and he touches me on the third eye. <laughs> and no joke, it was, it was like the most blissful moment of my life, and it was so intense that I physically couldn't handle it, and I woke up just gasping for air, just like, <gasps> and at, yeah, it was so incredibly real. It was, I guess the best way I could describe it would be the most at home I ever felt, you know, because we come to this planet and we feel lost, like, who am I? Why am I here? I was, I'm born in this random time period with a bunch of knuckleheads, everyone's fighting and arguing and angry, right. everyone's in pain. What the hell am I doing on this planet? And it was this moment of feeling completely at home. And then I realized, oh, I, I couldn't handle that for more than about three seconds. <laughs> I wasn't ready. Like wow. my, my vehicle, my body, my nature just wasn't ready. And I, I think this happened using psychedelics with people is they'll take mushrooms or acid or something and they'll hit this incredible moment of bliss, but they, they don't get to keep it. They didn't earn it, you know? Yeah. And that's what it felt like to me. I said to myself, all right, I've, I've experienced it. Now I'm going to have to spend the rest of my life kind of deepening into it and earning it. Yeah, I, I like what you said about enlightenment for 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 a while there because like yourself, I read so many books and I read some, and then I was chasing this enlightenment thing, this mythical enlightenment, yeah. and what is it, and all this kind of thing. And like yourself, more and more, I, I found that just accepting this flawed human existence that has the name Aaron Cloudon at this you know through this time and space is kind of enlightening of itself there it's there is that yeah letting go of that mythical perfection buddha nature thing that is always talked about because i'm like i can't really fathom it and if it ever comes along okay cool but to just kind of let that exactly. go that's been a big deal actually and I had a, I actually had a small backlash kind of with uh, Buddhism and meditation and kind of like, like walked away from it all, like uh, enough mm. and, and, and felt like um, that there was a, and I'm, and I'm really glad you talk about this in your book as well as on your website and stuff about uh, having a sense of humor. Mm -hmm. you're very yeah. you, like you need a sense of humor and you talk about this early on in your book about like uh, not taking it all so seriously and I, I was going to all these different meditation centers and everybody had to pretend that nobody ever got angry and talked in these really <laughs> you know kind of monotone voices that were really low and 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 it was like what is this that it's it's not real and then they're talking behind each other's backs and then they're still infighting and stuff but pretending like they're it's like just because we're all meditators we're still human beings right yeah. and, and everyone's a virgin yeah <laughs> 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 right, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm glad you 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 bring in the humor and that you're you're very straightforward with it. Like, hey, let's not take this all so seriously. Can you expand upon that a little bit? Sure. Well, it reminds me of uh, a time I was hiking way high up in the Himalayas, kind of near the near the border of Tibet. And I, we climbed up to this monastery that was literally hanging off the edge of a cliff thousands of feet high. It was like out of a movie. Wow. And I sat there with dozens of monks, and they sat in the order of age, like six years old to like, the guy looked like a dinosaur. His face had so <laughs> many just crevices and wrinkles. He just had that dinosaur vibe, and they all were doing their chanting just like, oh, you know. Yeah. And it was so powerful and, and intense. And then they took me into a back room, and we sat in a circle, maybe like eight of us, and I pulled out some dried mango to share. And the next thing I knew, they were slapping each other on the head with the mango, rolling on the floor, <laughs> laughing their heads off. And it was so different than outside when we were chanting. And I, I couldn't believe that at the top of the Himalayas, these monks hidden in a monastery for their entire lives were just rolling on the floor having a blast. And for me, that was a real epiphany of, like, 
yeah, this, why not? This life is meant to be enjoyed. None of us have any idea why we're here. This is a cosmic joke of some kind. Why don't we have some fun? And then the other side of it is when we take something too seriously, we tend to freeze the energy in place. Mm. So if like I want to heal, heal something in myself or fix something, something's not right, and I take it really seriously and I start overanalyzing it, it, it almost acts like an energetic freezing agent. And I've worked probably with a good couple thousand people one-on-one over the years. And I've just seen it time and time again. When they're too serious, things get too heavy, and the energy never moves. And they look for these very intellectual answers. They think, if I get the next answer with my mind, then I'll, I'll get there. And I always try to show them it's not the answer in your head that you get. It's the energy that you shift. So I always tell my students, our, our answers are born out of our energy. So if somebody comes to me and says, I have this intense relationship question, uh, I'm suffering from heartbreak, or I have this career thing or this spiritual question or this creativity thing I'm stuck on, whatever it is they come to me with, I, I try to help them recognize there may not be an answer yet in existence. The answer has to be born out of the shift of your energy. And people always want to go get around that, right? They, no, I want my answer now. And I'm like, well, listen, you've been a jerk for 30 years, <laughs> so your answer is going to be born out of that jerk, and you're not going to like it. Uh, you know, so if you shift your energy, the answer will fl- almost like the way a flower blooms, and then there's this fragrance. And that's where the work is, right? And just like in Buddhism, you have that lotus flower that comes out of the mud. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we're all, all doing with our lives. And if you look at the mud and you're like, I often hate mud, and you're serious and intense and stuck on it, you're never getting out of it. And the laughter acts as almost like a, a grease on the wheels that helps the energy move. That's interesting because so many times, and, and I actually had this conversation uh, with my girlfriend yesterday about um, how um, how um, the mind will get caught in a rut, and sometimes there's like an old feeling space that'll that'll get there, and then the mind will be caught in this rut, and how to let it go because it's so deep, and a lot sure. of times I don't even know what it is. Like there'll be this underlying sadness or melancholy that'll come out of nowhere. And maybe it's just that I need sleep or something, you know, I, I don't know, but it's, it seems it's very familiar to me, but the, how do I let it go? How do I drop it? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, well, let's explore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. Get on, the t- get on the table. Let me listen to your heartbeat. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, Take the red pill. Yeah, so, right. Uh, well, this is how I start with most of my students. Usually a feeling like that will come with a set of ruminating thoughts right? Most of my students will come to me and say, hey, I have this feeling I can't, can't get rid of, and it just I keep spinning out thinking about something. So what I have them do, this is just one tool in the toolbox, but it works really well, is I have them take that, usually a, a sequence of ruminating thoughts, it's like a film strip, right, for a movie. Mm-hmm. And let's just say there's five to seven images, And I have them take that film strip, put it in their mind's eye with their eyes closed, and just freeze it in place. Because usually it's going around almost like a merry-go-round. And it just goes around, and you watch the movie over and over. And every time those images come around in your mind's eye, you feel the emotion again. And it's almost like a, a hit of some kind of drug. You get addicted to it. It comes around again, you feel it again. It comes around again, you feel it again. So I have them freeze the images in place. And then the next step is to recognize it's not actually what you're thinking about. It's sometimes even not what you think you're feeling it about. There's something under the images. So every image in our mind's eye has to be animated by an energy the way to blow up a balloon, you have to blow air into it. The the balloon is animated by air. And so there's some kind of energy animating these images, giving them the energy to go around and around. And so what I ask my students to do in meditation is to look at the images and then look beneath them or underneath them. What is the actual energy under the ruminating thoughts? So just as an example, a very common one is like, I don't have enough time. 
David, I don't have enough time. I just never have enough time. All right, look underneath the, that sequence of ruminating thoughts. And then they'll say, I see the energy of anxiety. I'm like, all right, now we're on to something. Anxiety is always a very surface level energy. So where is the anxiety coming from? Is it coming from not having enough time or is there something underneath that? And then when they sit with it long enough, they may realize, you know what? I'm afraid. What are you afraid of? I'm afraid of failing. And there's never enough time because I'm always afraid I'm going to fail and that's causing anxiety. And then I ask them, well, inside of this cloud of energy of failure, often energy can, you know, when you look into it, it's like some muddy cloud. At the core of it is like a nucleus, an image. And then there's a memory of like, my dad told me, don't you effing ever fail. Don't you dare fail. I had a student once, we were working together, and she had a huge breakthrough from some lack of self-worth. She found in a memory, she got it from 30 years ago, she got accepted to Harvard. She brought the paper to her mom that and said, Mom, I got into Harvard. And her mom goes, you're not smart enough to go to Harvard. You're not going. Whoa. And like whack, like a psychic punch. Right. And she had, she had buried that memory so deep. And our conversation started with something light, you know, like a feeling and anxiety. And then we found kind of that core memory that was creating this cloud of pain and fear and anxiety and we were able to work through it together and let that pain go and she was like a different person after and it was really cool so what might seem like hey i just have this feeling of melancholy um i wouldn't be surprised if there's a whole bunch of layers underneath that and it would be fascinating to just sit and find out what they are yeah it's interesting because in your book i we were we we've been going through it and you have your seven seven different energies and you in the beginning you kind of talk about like oh i'm going to bring these up and then on a scale of one to ten where where do you see yourself in these things and i noticed there was yeah. about about four or five of them that i felt really strong on like an eight or higher and then there was like another three that were I didn't feel so strong in and um, I didn't get farther into those but I would love for you to talk about this book a bit and these seven energies and uh, kind of sure. inform us about it because I think this is a really phenomenal book that you have thank you so let me also just preface by saying I created a quiz it's a about five minutes long, mm -hmm. where there's a bunch of questions to help you recognize which energies maybe you're more dominant in that you focus on that are important to you right. and which ones are, are, are less so. So uh, there is a quiz for that to kind of elucidate some of it. So when, when I wrote the book, what I did was after, you know, working with thousands of people, they kept coming to me with the same questions and quote unquote problems, my relationship, my career, my money space, my spirituality, you know, my creativity, mm -hmm. what's my life path. And so and what I helped them, what I realized was, okay, these are energies that these are things that people are trying to birth in the world. Um, David, I feel lonely. All right. So you're wanting to birth connection and love into your life, right? Or, um, I feel poor. All right. So you're wanting to birth, uh, abundance, maybe a business or a creative project. And so I realized there's these energies everyone's trying to birth into the world, and they just started falling under these categories. And by the way, these categories are not something I made up. These words are not, nothing new. I just framed them in a way that's useful for me and my students. So that part of us that wants to create the creator, the builder, the maker, the doer, right. the part of us that wants to heal, to fix, to make people feel okay, right? The part of us that's a warrior that wants to be disciplined, to protect, you know, to make the body strong, the part of us that wants to love, that wants to experience oneness, the part of us that wants to be an artist, the part that wants to explore, the part that wants to heal, right? So we have all of these energies that want to come out of us. And what I found is most people go into deficiency or an excess with each one. So an excessive lover maybe has no boundaries, always taking care of other people first, right? Always giving, never receiving. Uh, a deficient lover, you know, maybe has a closed heart, can't accept love. 
um, not open to relationships, always isolated. Maybe we take uh, the creator. The creator in excess could be a workaholic, and the creator in deficiency might never start a project out of fear of failure. Um, the, uh, the master, the excessive master might have a God complex. I'm the greatest teacher, guru, guide, coach, mentor of all time. And the deficient master might be sitting there getting crapped on the head by a bird going, I'll never be good enough. Like <laughs> <laughs> I was. Right? So I had that deficient master. And so the book kind of uh, the way I wrote it is to help people recognize where they're deficient where they're in excess, how to bring balance into all these energies, and how to live up to their potential in each one. And, you know, with astrology, Enneagrams, uh, you know, numerology, you're always a type. Like, you're this one, you're that one. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, my focus with this book, and maybe the analogy will help, is like the way I see the seven energies of the soul is like when the light of our awareness passes through this physical form, when white light passes through a prism, it refracts into seven main colors. And you can combine them into thousands of different colors, but there's seven main colors. And so when the light of our awareness passes through this physical body and we go to love, to create, to heal, to explore, to guide, it comes out in these ways. And then how do we, you know, fulfill all of them? And it's almost like, you know, when you eat a great meal, uh, a really good meal is a recipe, right? Just the right amount of ingredients of each thing. And I think happiness is a byproduct of this kind of integration of every part of us. It's just the right recipe. You can't just be a creator or a lover all the time. You know, we need to fulfill ourselves with hobbies and relationships and creativity and work, all of the above. And so the way I wrote this book is just to help people have a framework for their lives and help them find a purpose because maybe I've got a great job, but I feel alone or maybe I'm really an amazing artist, but I feel like I need to be a guide for others and I don't know how, and that's what's missing. And when we find what's missing and bring it into balance, I think that's the recipe for happiness and for maybe even for finding some inner peace and, and purpose. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, I really, I immediately started re relating this to myself because um, especially in the creator aspect, I, I've had a lot of insecurities in the creator aspect. And, and it was interesting because I immediately thought of creating this show. I had the idea to start mm. this radio show for folks like yourself to put it out there. I'm not necessarily telling anybody how to think, but just putting out there stuff that I feel I align with and that I feel will help others. You can choose to use it or not, but the level of insecurity that arose around creating this and the amount of uh, the 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 mental and emotional hurdles I had to do just to get behind the mic for the first time was phenomenal. Wow. <laughs> you know, it scared the crap we out would of me. Call <laughs> yeah, so that would be, let's call that your deficient creator. And that's actually fascinating because often the deficiency and the excess can oscillate from one to the other. So we go from being insecure about doing the work to becoming a workaholic. So we get it right. So never, no one ever invalidates us or we don't fail. So we swing from the deficient creator to the excessive creator, which is what happened to me after that bird took a crap on my head. <laughs> I became an obsessive creator. So um, what we usually do is we deflate or we inflate, right? I'm not good enough to do this or I'm better than everybody else. I'm amazing. And we both know that neither of those are true. They're just kind of oscillations of energy in reaction to something inside of us. So, yeah, we have to heal ourselves in relationship to each energy, heal that invalidation, the resistance, the pain, to really step into ourselves. And uh, so you, you had a, a bout with deficient creator energy, I would say. <laughs> yeah, which is interesting because I was super inspired. It, 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 it's... It was it was the confidence thing, and and then and then even now as I've created the show and and had it going now for a little while, the kind of the ability to make it something more to move it beyond where it is it, that mm. 
that that almost kind of like, well, who am I to make it something bigger, or how do I make it something bigger or more substantial? It, you know, yeah. like, oh, I'm not capable. Like, I know how to do this part of interviewing somebody and sharing their stories, but I don't know all the other technical things of how to make it big on the internet or wherever else. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> So, I very much know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm curious in that regards of, of how you heal that and find that middle ground because when you were talking just now about that excessive like oh I can do this and it, because that's exactly what I have uh, that's it, and it almost I don't know I wouldn't say I'm bipolar or anything like that but there's those moments where like yeah I'm gonna conquer the world with this and everything's working out right and then there's like who am I to be doing this and 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 bringing this forth into the world. How do we heal those things? Yeah, sure. There's a couple of pieces to that. One, that initial inspiration might have also part of been your inner artist, the part that wants to communicate. It might have been your inner lover, the part that wants to connect, and your inner healer, the part of you that wants to help other people. And then maybe even your master of, of wanting to be a mentor or guide, right? You're guiding people as you're talking, having these conversations, and your inner explorer, you're like exploring all of these cool topics. Mm-hmm. So it might, just knowing that might diffuse some of the pressure that it's all about being the creator and being successful. If you put all that pressure on the creator to be successful, it's almost too much. But if you realize you're coming at it f- to fulfill all of these different angles and energies and it kind of opens something up. So that that's maybe just in the context of the book, I would say just maybe a different way of perceiving it. And then in terms of healing, maybe imposter syndrome or insecurity, I would kind of take us back to the exercise I did before with that ruminating thought or even just one thought, I'm not good enough to take this to the next level, right? Like take that picture, that poster, uh, put it up in your mind's eye, look at it clearly, notice the colors, the shape, and then what's the energy behind it. And then that's where I like when it gets almost like rudimentary. I, all I want is my student to tell me, like, what color do you see behind that image? Is it heavy? Is it dense? Is it light? You know, what is it jagged? Is it full of knives? That You start to get, like, this tactile sense, and you start to see so usually we're, most of us are feelers, right? We feel, I feel like I'm not good enough. I feel like I can't do this. What I try to teach my students to do is to close their physical eyes and open that mind's eye. The mind's eye is the part of us that sees in and has what we call insight. So we close the physical eyes, we open the mind's eye, and then we can start to see energy. And we can see energy that goes beyond thought. And then we, when we learn how to see that energy, we start to really get our own answers, and then our energy starts to shift. So energy shifts when we have understanding, not just some intellectual answer that somebody else told us. When we truly look at something with our eyes closed, and we have that aha moment, and then the pain comes out of our eyes through tears or out of our body in some form, we shed the layer, and then something else is born just like the flower, you know, the lotus out of the mud. And so you have to sit with that insecurity, look at it, ask where did this come from, and really see the energy behind it. And that may take sitting one time or 1,000 times in meditation, depending on how many layers there are. But what I always tell my students is there are no wells that are infinitely deep, right? Every well, like a water well, has a bottom. There's no well that's infinite. So even if it feels like there's just, I'll never get to all of this, there's too much, that's just resistance. You will if you're truly willing to do the work. And all of a sudden, your psychic load gets lighter and lighter. So maybe you're holding on to 90% insecurity, and then you get to 70 And then maybe once you cross that 50 40 30% threshold, your, your head is above water. And you can start to see your own answers. And now you can live with some insecurity and it's not crippling you. You can function, you can build and you can create. And then the other part of you gets stronger. And then the insecurity 
becomes kind of smaller in relationship to the part of your creator that's like like for me i now have a team of maybe like 20 people that work for me with me and you know when i hired my first person i was so insecure that i was their boss that i i didn't know what to tell them how to do things i was i was a mess right and then just through experience i just gained certainty through experience and then the insecure part of me got smaller and smaller and smaller and it was nothing but experience and practice awesome good for you man yeah <laughs> that's a fantastic and by, by the way <laughs> By the way, I'm still insecure sometimes, and by no means am I perfect or done by any means. But if you took me now, right, and compared me to 10 years ago, it's night and day. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I'd be very concerned <laughs> if you were selling yourself as perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that, little... <laughs> that would be an excessive match. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'd yeah. have a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah. I, I, t I tend to deflate more than inflate personally. Like everybody has their, I, I'm more of a deflator. I, I tend to move more towards insecurity rather than me being better than. So that's just my tendency is actually uh, a little bit to deflate. I, I do the same thing as a matter of fact, and, and I can actually undersell myself a lot. And, yeah. and so, and, and that brings up a, a very good point of how do we stand in our power? How do we without especially and i think i read somewhere recently that standing in our power and standing in our confidence can feel like arrogance when we've been taught that that it's not okay yeah you know how do well, how do we overcome that yeah that, that that's a great question i think that it's a matter of degree um like when i first started doing public speaking i was i was i would shake I was terrified and I got a job when I was living in Hawaii doing these talks for a company, like some sales and marketing stuff in like the tourism industry. And I had to do five talks a day, three or four days a week. I did it for a couple of years. I did hundreds and hundreds of talks in front of thousands and thousands of people over time. And all of a sudden, without realizing one day, I just wasn't nervous or afraid anymore. It was just like muscle repetition, you know? And so I think it, part of it is that it's just through life experience, failing over and over, trying again. If there's maybe no secret to it other than that. And then the other maybe more mystical side of it is, you know, there's this great quote from Pablo Picasso where he says, the meaning of life is to find our gifts and the purpose of life is to give them away. And so when you realize this is bigger than me, um, you know, if I've developed some kind of talent or skill or I, I have an inner wisdom, then it's almost my obligation to share it with the world. I'm part of a species and every being that's part of a species has to provide for that species. I'm not a hunter. <laughs> I would, we would all be, we would all starve to death if I was in charge of getting food. I, you know, I can't farm. I can't build computers. Yeah. I'm not good at building a home. This is my gift and what I have to offer the collective. And it's my duty to do it. And there was a moment, a shift that happened in my life where I started waking up thinking, what else can I do for humanity? How can I share? How can I help people? It was a shift that happened over thousands of moments. It wasn't like one kind of big thing for me. And so you, ha you have to get out of your own way and go, well, listen, if I have a microphone, then I have some kind of obligation here maybe to help people, inspire them in some way, and I'm going to let life work through me it's just not my little ego and about my little world but i'm part of a collective and how am i going to be of service and once you cross that threshold of starting to ask how can i give instead of what am i going to get um, something dramatic in your life starts to shift there's a magic that starts to come in doors start to open people feel your energy in a different way and you know we're kind of we kind of grow out of the selfishness and uh, life changes. So I think that has to be part of the equation of asking yourself, what can I give? How can I give? Yeah, that's interesting because that's exactly what happened with me and this show mm -hmm. because there was so much. F and I started this after the pandemic had 
started and there was so much fear and 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 there was also yeah. at the at the time when i was beginning just in my very formative stages before i'd even gotten behind the mic you know we were at the brink of is the is the u.s gonna have another civil war and there was so much craziness and fear and everybody was and i was like you know what Every, all these all, all i see from media and social media is what to be afraid of and who is your enemy <laughs> and i was like let's talk about who is your healer who is the person here to love and help you and to how can we help each other and that's what i wanted to give a voice to and more and more that's becoming a reality and i don't know how many people will hear it you, you know but i just felt yeah. called to how do i bring about the opposite of that how do i let people know they're not alone in this time where they're feeling isolated and can't see each other's faces how do i let them know there's others out here for you that are, that are talking about things that are they're they're gonna help you heal they're gonna do the opposite yeah. and make you anxious and and afraid and alone and it sounds like you're doing a ton of that <laughs> yeah that's beautiful that's beautiful the way you put it and and i love to remind people that during the plague in the 14 1500s the death rate was probably around 50 percent um right and people act like this is the worst moment to ever be alive in 1900, I believe the life expectancy of the average person on Earth was 42. All right, so in 100 years, we what doubled it? At least, um, right? Yeah. And the the pandemic of 1918, I think the death rate was about half of one percent, and this time around, it's probably lower. Um, and as bad as it is, and as much as it sucks, and I know people who have died. Uh, at the same time, it is not the end of the world. And that feeling that it's the end of the world is nothing but a collective anxiety that's uh, amplified through the media. You know, because if you take 7 billion people and you take the 10 worst things that happen to them every day and you feed it into your veins, who the hell isn't going to be anxious? You'd have to be a psychopath to be calm. Right. So, <laughs> you know, so you have to unplug from that and, and tap into a different kind of energy. And obviously it sounds like you've been helping people do that, um, which is really great to hear. And uh, sounds like you found your calling, which is when you find your calling, you find a whole nother level of fuel in life. It's just like another level that uh, when you don't have a calling, you feel drained of energy all the time. And for me, part of that calling is always about helping other people. Even when I started making more and more money, you know, more money than my parents ever made or that I, would, I thought I would make, all of a sudden, all I could think about was how to give it away, how to share it, and how to invest it in good, helpful ways. And, and it was like, wow, this is just energy that I could use to help the world shift and help people around me. And it's, I sometimes I have to like, you know, back up because I'm always thinking, how can I pay everybody more? And I'm like, wait, wait, hold up. <laughs> you got to look at this in a more practical sense. Um, and so for me, helping people find some kind of financial wealth became a hobby. Like I, I really love it. I love watching people come out of poverty and, and growing into abundance. So I created a free money course that I give away on helping people work through the seven uh, relationships to money. And, uh, and you know what? I was ashamed of doing that at first because my teachers would never talk about money. And in India, Hawaii, like not a topic you really work on. It's not spiritual. And I was like, you know what? I was poor for so long and it felt like crap. It feels it sucks to be poor and yeah. I want to help people get out of, get out of that energy. <laughs> yeah, so, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, God, I know it. I know it all too well. And, uh, that's part of self-worth is like, I'm worthy of having more. And then how can I share that? And that was a part of the journey for me as well. And I had to recognize my journey is different than my teacher's. I have a harder time with intimate relationships. I had a harder time with money. I had a harder time with like not caring about what people think of me. And that's my journey. And their journey is different. If a guy sits in a cave with his beard for 40 years, has no human relationships, and that's his journey, fine. But that's not my journey. Right. I got to pay the bills. <laughs> and I, so uh, I have a foundation, actually. It's called the uh, 
the, it's the Himalayan Children's Future Fund, HimalayanChildrensFutureFund.org, and we help orphanages in Nepal. And uh, it's a passion of mine. You know, I get to ask wealthy people and regular people to share, and it's so freaking cool. I never thought I would get to be the president of a foundation. We have a board, and we have people on the ground, and it's a whole thing. And uh, that was born out of me shifting my relationship to money. That's awesome, man. Good for you. Yeah. That's super cool. And now, where is this and free? Kids who get where, to eat? Well, that's a win-win, man. Are you kidding? Yeah. Me? That's fantastic. Where is this free money course? How do we find this thing? Uh, yes, yeah. so if you just go to my website, meditationschool.us, okay. it's there, or just down, or you can just download the app, Meditation School, in, on Apple or Android. Okay, and it's in there in the free in the free section as well, and. Um, yeah, hopefully that'll shift shift something for you if that's one of the, you know, blocks that you're experiencing. It it kind of is. It's actually shifted a little bit over the past year and year and a half. Interestingly enough, uh, not long before I started this show, which was cool. Um, awesome. So, could you talk about your meditation school in general? Because it offers a lot. Yeah. I was looking through it, and you. Do a lot. <laughs> There's like uh, a lot I'm an here, excessive, man. excessive creator energy yeah, for sure. You're the most type yeah. A guru I ever met. <laughs> I love I it. I know, bro. I know. It's, it's probably because I grew up in on the East Coast, you know, very fast paced. Oh, me but, too. Where'd you grow uh, up at? In Jersey or something? Uh, yeah, in Bergen County, in New Jersey. Oh, yeah. okay. I grew up uh, uh, across the border in the uh, suburbs of Philadelphia. Oh, I love that. Awesome. <laughs> right on. So, uh, so yes, yesterday, my book came out yesterday, and um, I last night around midnight, I was recording sleep meditations. I have a sleep podcast Whoa. as well, talking about o- over-creating, <laughs> and uh, I, 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 had, I hadn't recorded any, any new episodes in, in, like, I don't know, four months, and I, someone, I looked at some metrics, and they, the podcast was getting hundreds of thousands of streams. And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> All these people are waiting for episodes, and I just dropped the ball. I've been busy. <laughs> and so I, I sat down, and I started recording content. And a friend of mine was texting me, and I said, oh, I'm just recording some sleep meditations. And she said, let me get this straight. You spent two years on a book. It came out today, and you're up at midnight recording more content, you oh, psycho. <laughs> right on. She calls you on it. I like it. <laughs> oh, my God. But it was, it was really a feeling of <laughs> I just wanted to share more. I just wanted... I just wanted to share more content, you know, yeah. and uh, a friend of a friend of mine, so her, her sister had just passed away. And so I created a sleep meditation for her and for everybody on dealing with grief um, when, when going to bed. And so, Beautiful. you know, I, I'll, I'll just be walking around the house and some inspiration will land and I'll just hit hit the little record button and go. And and I guess that's how I roll. So, yeah, meditation school, the app is and then um Oh, one other thing. Let me just mention is I work with an app called Insight Timer, which is yeah, the I've most done uh, used. Before. Yeah, it's the most used meditation app in the world. I think um, there's over 20 million users right now. Really, I've been working with these guys for years. Great people. And if you're looking for more than just one teacher like me, if you want to just explore lots and lots of content, that would be my number one recommendation. Awesome, man. Yeah, I, I'm I'm so impressed with all you're doing, and I'm looking forward to finishing your book, and I would love to have you on the show again if you ever want to come do this again with me. You're a blast to talk to, man. And I love Thanks, that you Aaron, have a anytime. sense of humor around it all. It's the best. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm jonesing for people with a sense of humor around their meditation and in their waking up into whatever, you know, being our best selves doesn't have to be so serious all the time. Exactly. I hope, Aaron, I hope one day I I find enlightenment sitting under a tree and I just start laughing so hard I have a heart attack and die. Well, I hope, I <laughs> hope I, no birds crap on good. you when you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Me too. But hey, bro, I'm running out of time. So if you guys want to get a hold of David, 
go to meditationschool.us. Uh, it's a super cool site, and he's got so much good stuff. And if you want to read his book, Seven Energies of the Soul, check it out because it's, it's awesome as well. Um, David, thank you so much, and let's do it again sometime, man. Thanks for having me. It's a total yeah. pleasure. Yeah, much love, brother, and uh, have a great evening. You too. Take care, everyone. All right, bye. Thank you.